and welcome to season three of the What's Up With podcast. My name is Ashleen Kumsa, and I couldn't think of a better way to kick off our third season of our podcast than by chatting with WID's former director of international programs, Bruce Curtis. Bruce is an international disability rights activist who worked for WID for 22 years. And for many years, Bruce also worked in Russia and other post-Soviet countries. And he is currently the chairman of the board at Whirlwind Wheelchair. Bruce, it's such a pleasure to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. I'm looking forward to sharing some some uh, memories of the years here. Absolutely, yeah. We are celebrating 40 years of WID, and we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the incredible Judy Human. And I want to take a minute to reflect a little bit. I know you worked with her over the years, so I wanted to ask you, what are some of your most cherished memories of Judy as we all mourn her passing? Yes. Well, it's 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 sad for everybody. I mean, um, with Judy with Judy passing on, and and I'm no exception. I've known Judy for most of my life, um, meaning since the middle 1970s. In the beginnings of the of the development of independent living centers in the United States, um, the uh, Judy had Judy had um, moved to Berkeley, where I currently am currently living, and was working at the Center for Independent Living. And I was living in Southern California and in the city of Pasadena. And was inter- I was finishing my my um, college. Uh, courses masters and and was trying to figure out what I was going to do for a job <laughs> and <laughs> I saw I saw a news article talking about these uh this idea of an independent living center and they were going to set up uh they were trying to set up 10 independent living centers with money that Ed Roberts had managed to uh uh put aside from the his budget in the in the California State Department of Rehabilitation where he was the new director and i thought this sounds interesting i i really like this idea i can see how i can do this but i'm i'm too late to join the group and then i and then i realized well let me go see if i can find local money so i went to my city hall and talked to the city manager and they gave me a building for free and they gave me three positions paid for by the federal government and they basically said uh, and and ten thousand dollars in cash and and they said you know go for it so i i started learning how to set up an independent living center basically by um <laughs> talking to other people and and figuring it out as we went so I joined in with the other group that was set up with California state money and um but I did it with local money and uh so I was always I'm always a little bit um um to the you know outside the group um but it was it was wonderful working with Judy um because she was actively promoting uh setting up centers in the in you know in different states mm-hmm. uh, Right in 19, right at that time, this is like 1976, and we're and the 504 demonstrations were were planned and started, and I got involved with that, and uh, I helped set up a demonstration. An occup- well, it became an occupation. No one started from the place. Uh, everybody else didn't start from the place of occupations, 
but they wanted to demonstrate in federal buildings. And I led a group with uh, in in the Los Angeles area in the federal building there. And we ended up staying in the congressman's office in the federal building. Um, but we we lasted three days. Everybody else in 10 other cities um, lasted basically a day because mm-hmm. nobody had planned, you know, food uh, support. <laughs> you know, we you know, you're in a building and the police shut shut it off and you basically have no support. We had to leave after three days. Um, I, you know, the occupation in San Francisco managed to keep going for 28 days. Um, I I went up and uh, eventually when we got shut down, Judy had organized a hearing led by a, con- a congressman uh, that was very supportive in San Francisco and also had an H-E- HEW official participating <laughs> And I, they, I got to participate in this uh, event be- representing uh, what happened in Los Angeles. And uh, this is one of the famous moments where everybody sees image of Judy talking to this congressman and getting very upset mm-hmm. um, because the guy just kept nodding in agreement and, and Judy's, you know, basically telling him how horrible the situation is. <laughs> and, and the guy just keeps nodding and nodding and she finally just, you know, you know, calls him out on it and 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 um, so it was a, a very famous moment that's been seen yeah. a lot in video mm-hmm. I was in the back of the room you actually you there this this became a part of the Crips camp film the Judy yes did. I was just watching it over the weekend and yes that scene is fresh in my head Definitely yeah, and, that. <laughs> and there's and there's a there's a little moment which you, you know you have to be you have to you have to be someone like me is like did they look at did they see me in the crowd <laughs> you know and 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 I'm in the back of the room and you see me for about one second you know mm. but I, you got to be looking know what you're seeing, <laughs> know what you're looking for so so the the he you know that was that was one example of judy um from that that occupation what is not talked about as much is the group of 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 disabled activists that left that building and went to washington dc and i was i was included in that group this 15 20 people all kinds of disabilities uh you land we landed in in washington dc in the middle of the night you know like one o'clock in the morning and and uh, you know and, and we're all we're all at the airport and we a U-Haul truck you know shows up and I'm looking at this U-Haul truck it's a van you know it's a U-Haul truck and I'm thinking all right how is this supposed to work you know all these people <laughs> in wheelchairs you know trying to get into a U-Haul van and they basically you know created a ramp uh, and and pushed us all up into this van and then closed the door so we're driving on the freeways with everybody in the van um, with the door closed. Um, not knowing and can't see anything, you know, it's all dark and wonder, you know, and, and they said, oh, we're going to go to Secretary Califano's house. And this is on this was a, a brand new tactic hadn't been done in this in any of the civil rights movement. Uh, the idea that you go to someone's home, you know, a government official's home and demonstrate in the middle of the night in a suburban, you know, in suburban Washington, D.C., and and the one reason why this worked really well, we showed up unloaded two o'clock in the morning in front of his house in a dead in a in a cul-de-sac dead end street, unloaded our van. See, one of the one of the reasons why the disability activists were very successful 
in the early years was we learned to bring along our own uh, mainstream me media television cameras. Uh, we we would have a connection with uh, with a television studio, in this case, one in San Francisco, who had been following the occupation. And they basically said, oh, you guys are going to see we want to come along. So they came along and they were with us as soon as we arrived. Um, as we're coming out of the van, the floodlights of their TV cameras and lights, you know, show up and, and two o'clock in the morning, in the middle of the night. And we're unloading and we have our own TV cameras on police, a couple of police cars show up, of course, you know, <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing here? And well, we're here, we're here to see, you know, Secretary Califano and, and tell him about uh, he needs to sign the Section 504. And we're going to wait until he comes out and 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 uh, meets with us. And 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 of course, the police look at each other and it's like, oh, but you can't do this. This is in the middle of you no. Know, this is public property. We are in the street. We are peacefully demonstrating, and we have a right to be on a public sidewalk. Um, they 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 uh, didn't agree, but they didn't they couldn't do anything about it. We ended up spending the night there and waiting for him in the morning to come out to go to work. And mm. the guy didn't come out of the door, front door. We later heard, because the news people started you know, asking questions, and we later heard that he went out the back door and through the woods. Wow. Uh, because he did not want to be photographed um, uh, seeing us and talking with us. That's how much of a blackout there was about this issue in the in the East Coast press. They would not talk about this issue, mm. which is why the the decision was made to bring the demonstrators, you know, to Washington D.C. in order to push the push the uh, area into the issue into the public. Judy, of course, is is the powerhouse through all this. I mean, she's thinking, planning working you know with other other people in the group and you know i'm kind of i'm along for the ride you know i'm, I'm, part, <laughs> I'm just a part of the group and uh <clears throat> you know i'm enjoying it but um you know it's it was all it was all cutting new territory demonstrators didn't do this kind of thing and especially in washington dc the next the next day, uh, the next day or two, there was it was a Sunday, and we all knew that um, President Carter, who was new in office, he had only been in office for a few months when this started, and and um, we knew he was going to go to church, and uh, we knew which church, <laughs> and so we had a we decided to go and sit in front of his church. Um, again, nobody does this uh, in the civil <laughs> rights and human rights movement. You do not go and demonstrate in front of somebody while they go to church. And we had to talk about the, we talked internally about, are we going to try and get, go into the church, you know, as demonstrators? And the decision was made, no, that's really not correct. You know, you don't interrupt people while they're worshiping in church. A couple of people wanted to go. And so we said, look, you go, if you want to go in and be there and, and, and be quiet and do your, and just, you know, fine, but no demonstrating in the church. I think two people went in, not too many. Everybody else sat along on the, on the side of the curb facing the church, waiting for him to come out the front door again, you know, and to, to see us with our signs, asking him to sign the uh, five, section 504. 
again, he he did not come out the front door. He went out the back door, side door of the church, um, and and got in his cars and left again. Never had done that. The president had never, you know, gone out the side door to escape, you know, dealing with demonstrators. So we were making these small successes because it's not like the newspapers were were talking about it so much. They did cover it though. And the next thing we tried to do was was meeting again with Secretary Califano at his offices. That's when I found out how big the DC cops are. <laughs> the DC cops are huge, you know, and we're in wheelchairs. There's all, you know, blind people, deaf people, people in wheelchairs. Um, these DC cops are all got to be over six feet five. You know, I mean, they're just huge. Um, and they're all they're all lined up blocking the doors, keeping us out and not allowing us to enter. So we we did various kinds of of uh, demonstrational kind of tactics, you know, in front of them. They didn't arrest us in those days in the 70s. They were not arresting disabled people um, who would demonstrate and do civil disobedience. It's not there's there's in my mind and, and as we talked about it, the reasons were they were we, we would say they were afraid to be seen arresting people in wheelchairs. Hmm. The truth of the matter was that was that was partially true, but but the the truth is they had no way to arrest us because they had no accessible police vehicles. <laughs> they couldn't wow. take us anywhere. <laughs> they couldn't take us into jail. Jail wasn't accessible. You know, they they so they they didn't. You know, um, and and the, most people think you know well there was some big moral thing going on why they didn't arrest us maybe. But they had no accessible police vehicles. They had no way to put us somewhere, so they didn't. This eventually changed um, a, a, a couple of years later in San Francisco because I guarantee you, disabled people were very uppity, you know, um, <laughs> making demonstrations in San Francisco. For example, against uh, the the rapid the bus transportation that was inaccessible, and and uh, we you know people were demonstrated and and basically shut down one of the bridges going into the city um and but by that time a couple of years had gone by and the san francisco police had had bought an accessible paddy wagon you know and and so they were able to arrest a couple of people so i i participated with judy in various demonstrations both you know the 504 one other ones in san francisco um that happened uh, Judy and I, I mean, you, when you get a bunch of people in wheelchairs, uh, one of the tactics we would do is we would, we, the people in wheelchairs, power wheelchairs, I was in a manual wheelchair, but I would lock, we would lock our front wheels together in other, and sometimes people would bring a chain and chain our chairs together. This was, again, nobody really did this back in the seventies so much. Um, we, we innovated as, as best we could. Uh, but I was I I always enjoyed hanging with Judy during these demonstrations um, because Judy was where the action was. <laughs> she, uh, <laughs> you know, she was you know, she she was always up front, always pushing, always mm -hmm. demanding, always confronting, always demanding uh, the rights of persons with disabilities to be in the community, to have equal access. Um, this was Judy. Uh, 
one of the I, one of the things that the last thing I'll say about about Judy at the moment um when we were in when we were in uh in Washington DC during during this these demonstrations for 504 one of the things that eventually happened after about a week was the the White House agreed to meet with us and so about uh, three or four people were selected to go into the White House and meet with uh, the, the one of the advisors to President Carter. And as we, I'm, I'm, I was one of the people who went into the White House with Judy and a couple other people. And as we're going down the halls of the White House, and I'm, I'm looking around. First time I've ever been in the White House, and I'm looking around, and Judy's in a wheelchair. I'm in a wheelchair. Judy busts out singing, we shall overcome. She's walk, <laughs> as she's walking down the hallways of the White House, she just starts singing, you know, top of her voice, we shall overcome. And I'm I'm joining in with her, but I'm I'm embarrassed. You know, it's like I wouldn't I wouldn't have done that, but she did. Uh, you know, so we we had our little meeting in the room, you know, with his advisors and we're talking to him. And then Judy did another classic move. She said, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. Where's your bathroom? And and they said, oh, it's down the hall and around the corner. And I looked at Judy. Judy looked at me and we both I said, yeah, I got to go to the bathroom, too. So we both went out the door and, and going to the bathroom, Judy. And I'm going down the hall. I said, Judy, you check out their bathroom. I'll check out the men's bathroom. And in our about accessibility, of course, there wasn't any. Uh, and we come back, we make our comments about it. You know, you need to make an accessible bathroom here, folks. So, so the, you know, that was a, that was another, another great memory with Judy. So I've got, there's been plenty through the years. Um, Judy, Judy was everywhere. And, uh, and after, you know, as she got older, I got older, she spent much more time in Washington, DC. I, I, I spun off and started doing international work. Um, and basically, um, I started in the early in the early 80s, like uh, 80, 1981 to 1985. I started in Latin America, Central America, basically Nicaragua, Guatemala, El Salvador. Um, I, you know, I started working with disability organizations if they existed. Because in these in in many of these countries there were very rudimentary uh, disability organizations, and but I was interested in bringing what the lessons and the and the vision that the independent independent living movement had developed in the United States. I was interested in bringing that to to other people in other countries. Didn't know how to do it. Didn't speak other languages. Um, but I trusted in the ability to speak to other human beings about their problems and about what they wanted to do to make a better world. Mm -hmm. and, and that message was uh, there was always people, always young people somewhere, you know, who were who were interested in that. Mm -hmm. um, so that eventually led me, you know, as Judy did her thing, she set up with Ed Roberts, the the World Institute of Disability in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was, um, I was doing a lot of traveling, but I was living in Washington D.C. then when she wasn't mm -hmm. uh, doing international work. Um, eventually, we traded places again. I moved yeah. back to Berkeley. She moved to Washington D.C. and she started her career, her next several careers, uh, 
um, working, working, uh, inter, you know, working on on um, on on the rights of persons with disability in the United States. And then slowly, she started also moving into the international um, mm -hmm. arena um, mm -hmm. and got involved with the creation of the of the ADA, uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, in the end that was signed eventually. Um, I was lucky to have met several, a couple of the leaders and gotten to know um, um, different people um, to some degree. Um, but I got involved with WID again uh, when WID in back back in 1991, yep. uh, 92. Uh, I there was the fall of the Soviet Union, mm -hmm. and my experiences um, had taught me that when countries change. When when the government uh, falls and the a new government comes in and wants to kind of come up with a you know redo the, the way things are, are 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 done in the country, this is an opportunity to bring up the issues about uh, disabled people becoming integrated in the in the society and supporting that. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to go to to Russia and. Um, didn't speak the language, never been there. Um, I went by myself in a manual wheelchair um, in December. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a California boy. Um, unfortunately, I didn't understand winter in Russia. <laughs> um, so I went with my California clothes oh, and, man. A and a jacket, you know, mm -hmm. and I thought, okay, that'll be, that'll be good enough. No. No. Uh, no, I, you know, it wasn't. And I started working in Russia um, in 92. And eventually, um, it took several years, like about three years. Um, I was lucky that I we were able to um, get some money from various uh, sources, um, international sources, US government sources to do work in, in Russia to develop, um, uh, try to affect their their main disability organization for the physically disabled. There are three main disability organizations in Russia, one for the physically disabled, for the blind, and for the deaf. Russia has a very different history around uh, persons with disabilities. They went through their revolution in 1917 and the early 1920s. And this is before the only disability organizations anywhere in the world were the blind and the deaf, hmm. um, and and no, not for the physically disabled. They created. Then they had their war, and after big wars, you get a lot of physically disabled people, and and they created uh, they created an organization for the physically disabled during World War II, but they took a direction where they wanted to segregate disabled people. And and have them supported separate, equal, supposedly equal, but separate, but equal. No, it's never equal. It just isn't. <laughs> it just isn't. You know, and they segregated disabled people in order to take care of them. Very classic arguments. And and so when I arrived in Russia in the 1990s and I'm in a wheelchair and I'm public, you know, I'm going out and around and people saying they never see anybody in a wheelchair. Yeah. They hadn't seen anybody. The elevators in Russia were these tiny little things I could barely get into it by mm. myself. 
and and they had steps going up to the elevator wow <laughs> and i i you know i'm being hauled up steps in order to get in an elevator i'm looking at this and i'm thinking how you know how can we change this this is yeah. horrible um i started off and i i made a big mistake i thought i would work with i was started by working with the national disability organization with their leadership Mm-hmm. because you you know you you give you bring the leadership a new vision you give them training and you help them to you want to help them uh implement that vision but uh but the after two three years of of doing trainings and giving people like practice homework like go 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 back home and do this in your community um i didn't see him doing anything Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I became very uh, unhappy and depressed thinking I've, you know, years and lots of money, and it hasn't led to a single change. And all of the leadership were people in their 50s and 60s and even 70s. There mm-hmm. were no young people in their leaderships, none. All had grown up, all had grown up in the Soviet Union, all had grown up in a segregated society. All of them, you know, were their organization was funded by the government and you don't rock the boat. Right. You don't make demands. You don't criticize the government. Uh, you don't make public demonstrations. And everything I was we were talking about was we want you to change your society. And they're just looking at me and being quiet. Hmm. And I, I thought they were getting it, you know, and, and no, they didn't. I I I brought I had uh, I asked Ed Roberts. He said he wanted to come and visit Russia, and so I arranged for him to come and visit Moscow. And he came. Uh, and so I mean, for those who for those of you who who know Judy, you know the things I've said about Judy doesn't surprise you. But maybe you don't know about Ed Roberts. And Ed Roberts was you know was breaking ground time judy was and and they were they were very close and very very um very good leaders together but ed roberts was his own you know force of nature um as a leader as an example as a public speaker um ed roberts was amazing and ed came over ed roberts is in this huge power wheelchair with a respirator attached to the back and he's always got a respirator in his mouth Mm-hmm. And he he basically can move one finger and he, he would have to go home at night and and be in his iron lung um, and um, get out of it the next day. That was his normal routine. Go home, go go to an iron lung. He it when he was in Mo, he, when he was in Moscow, he had a respirator, so he wasn't going to his iron lung. But um, he came with his own entourage. Um, Ed Ed had like about three or four people traveling with him. Some of them are attendants. He brought along his karate instructor. Oh my god! <laughs> um, you know, and I'm you know, and he that surprised me. You know, I mean, Ed, I mean, Ed was out there. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. breaking new breaking new ground, setting <laughs> examples of what was possible. The guy can move one finger, and he's got a karate instructor. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I said, I, he told me he was bringing his karate instructor. I didn't know what to do with this. You know, uh, you know, what am I going to do? I'm talking to these disability leaders from all over Russia in a training course. And here I've got Ed Roberts 
who I thought was going to talk about the disability rights movement, and he wants to do a karate demonstration <laughs> for, for, for all these disability leaders. And, and you know, okay, fine. You know, and so it was a big room, and, you know, he got out there with his karate instructor, and he did a few moves with him and, you know, did his thing and so forth. Everybody applauded him. Great. You know, um, you know, it was it was fascinating to watch. I, and when I, I took Ed to one of the uh, during the weekend. I took him to a, a I don't know what to call it. It's a flea market, basically, in Moscow. Huge flea market. I mean, it covers several football fields. Everybody brings their stuff. And and I would go there for my, you know, um, weekend kind of activity. Um, I took him there and and he's out in public. This guy, I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, you can't miss him. Um, and nobody sees people in wheelchairs. And Ed in a power wheelchair with a respirator, you never see anything like this. He yeah. had he had he had Russian women, old women, older women and whatnot. They would come up to him and they'd offer him money. Oh, my. You know, they they would they they reach out with a with a you know with some coins, you know, they want to give yeah. that dead money. You know, and he would laugh, you know, and say, Oh no, no, thanks, you know. Um, and you know, and they would say, Oh, you poor, poor person, you poor child. Um, you know, this this was what I was dealing with in in, in Russia. That's the beginning of it. Luckily, um we couldn't stay. We didn't have money to stay for forever, and there needed to be a local off a local or disability organization. And I was. This is at a time when when we want disability organizations to be led by disabled people, and I was really strong. I was a young militant. Yeah, right. Just uh, you know, it's got you know if you if you want disabled people in charge, you got to have disabled people in charge. I could not find a disability, a Russian person with a disability who had any, who had the skills to do, you know, to manage a disability organization that was doing what we wanted to do. They just, there was, there just wasn't anybody. They, uh, there just wasn't anyone. I ended up hiring a a young woman who had, who had basically uh, fell in love with Russia and, and with, and had gone to school to learn the Russian language. And she wanted. She was basically planning to stay in Russia. She she applied. I was really torn, conflicted. You know, an able-bodied young woman. You know, as as a leader of a disability organization. You know, in in Moscow. And I thought, no, this isn't right. Um, but I didn't have a choice, so I went with it. And of course, it didn't go down real well <laughs> in, in, <laughs> at, at World Institute. But I told people we there really wasn't anybody else. It has turned out one of the famous sayings by Ed Roberts uh, was, you know, when he talked to people in public, he would say, uh, you know, you know, we are disabled. You know, other there are other persons who are disabled in in in, you know, in our society. And for you that are able bodied, eventually you will also become disabled in your life some at some time and you will you will be a part of our community as well and in this case it is you know uh, for this woman for many years she was able-bodied but then she got a, a then she became disabled she had replaced her hips twice you know she had knee problems you know she became disabled as she became older 
she took that organization with other disabled Russians who were a part of it. They now they have been working in regions all over Russia for the last 25 or more years. Mm -hmm. um, and she now has over 70 employees in her organization of all, all more than half are all disabled Russians. And they have been training and working with people all over Russia to promote in, you know, inclusion and equity for disabled people, bring disabled children into normal schools, uh, hire disabled people in, in jobs, um, in, in normal jobs uh, in, 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 the, in the city. Yes. Uh, she has promoted all kinds of, of, of these issues and been very successful um and doing it and i can't take credit for it because she did the work she's mm -hmm. the one who 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 slaved away every day you know making that and going through the pain of of doing that uh she started working with young russians and it was her that choice where i saw the possibilities of success working with young people not working with the old leadership who grew up in a mm -hmm. different world and who, yeah. who intellectually could hear what I was saying, but had no interest in working at, at changing their, their, their world. The young people, absolutely. The young people said, we want something different. Mm -hmm. We want a better world for ourselves. We want opportunities for ourselves. And the young people went out and would demonstrate for it. The last thing I, I wanna say about the Russia time is I learned a very interesting lesson. I had grown up in America doing public demonstrations. We have a history in America of doing public demonstrations. And, and that being fine, you know, freedom of speech, um, the right, the right to, to, to ask for our, 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 you know, our grievances to be addressed and to be dealt with and to be changed and to stop discrimination. I grew up with that kind of a, an experience. I only thought in in public demonstrations that way. I saw when 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 Denise, uh, this this American woman, when she when she started working with young disabled people, they created a they created a public demonstration, but it wasn't people criticizing and demanding their rights. Instead, it she she it became a celebration activity. They would they would have uh, for dealing with schools. They would have uh, an integration of disabled people in schools. They would have the parents. They would have children. They would have teachers. They had balloons. They had signs saying, you know, we've you know this is what we're doing. And they would get out in the street, but it wasn't to criticize the government. It was to celebrate their successes locally in the community and the local and the people i watched buses full of people glued to the side windows you know staring at all these people in the street with balloons and and placards and uh you know uh sell you know basically having it wasn't a party but it you know it was very very positive yeah. and i that taught me a very interesting lesson you know not to think that there's only one way to to get success that you have to be angry, you have to protest. Uh, that has its place, that needs to be done. But there, the celebration uh, is also needs to be a part of our toolkit.
my time in Russia um, was over many years. It was probably almost 14 years of going back and forth to Russia and different parts of Russia. I also went to some other Soviet, uh, yes. post-Soviet countries in order to experience in order to you know see what else what was similar what was different um i learned quickly yes there's all always differences in other countries and cultures but the soviet model uh was pretty well established in 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 all of these countries and there is lots of similarity mm-hmm. uh, one of the countries i visited um was the republic of georgia most people are not familiar with where the republic of georgia is located it's on it's on the other side east the east side of Turkey. Um, it has the Black Sea to the north. Um, it has Russia to the far. Little, you know, it also is by the Black Sea there. And um, it below to the south it has uh, it has like Iran and also uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia. So these are what border uh, the country of Georgia. Georgia is at the is the is a crossroads country uh meaning it is part of the east it's part of the west and everybody who wants to go either direction goes through georgia so it's a very old country where people have traveled through it and various other old ancient empires have tried to um, have conquered it at various times there are old roman ruins there the Persians were interested and tried to occupy them too. The Turkish, yeah, the Turks also. I mean, they've been they've been uh, through it all through the centuries. Yeah, Georgia is is was a very interesting place um, because uh, the food is great. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, you know, but you got to work hard and you 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 really want to enjoy food when you get around to eating. And Georgia's food is is really great. And the, the Georgians have a great culture of music and dance. And um, and they they were uh, they're just very lovely people. Um, so I got involved in in the Republic of Georgia and decided I wanted to work with the disability organization there. The reason was because there was a coalition of disability organizations in Georgia, which almost didn't exist in uh, didn't exist at all in other Soviet countries. There were all the blind, the deaf, the physically disabled, and even uh, people with uh, mental retardation, uh, people who were and their parents uh, organizations. They all were collaborating together in a national coalition unheard of i hadn't seen that in these other soviet countries before so i was very interested in seeing what could be done when you have that level of of cooperation and collaboration happening uh within a country instead most in most other countries then even today disability organizations still fight among ourselves in turn for for resources for 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 power for you know, for opportunities, unfortunately, we struggle against each other too often, um, and that's really not helpful. And you, there's not you don't see progress made in society when when everybody is struggling to get their own, uh, get something for themselves. So I started working in in the Republic of Georgia, 
and I was connect. I had a, a an old connection with the uh, with Whirlwind Wheelchairs International, uh, which had create was in had by that time had created a a wheelchair over several years of working internationally with uh, wheelchair users in other countries. They had developed a really excellent manual wheelchair that was really safe and could work well in very rough outdoor conditions, which is how the rest of the world is, folks. You know, there is an accessibility <laughs> out there, you know, and even in our cities, unfortunately, they've got holes and cracks in the street. And mm -hmm. I mean, accessibility is not smooth and easy everywhere, just isn't. And so this this wheelchair is is really is really practical and was made with from with bicycle technology so you could get repair parts from bicycle stores. Mm -hmm. um, and so I I decided all right let's try and set up a factory um, in Georgia making this chair and I was lucky enough to get money from uh, the uh, from the U.S. government in order to make this happen. Over a period of five years, I, we had a big project. Um, half the project was setting up this wheelchair factory. The other half of the project was doing, doing the usual um, disability education in the communities, developing uh, disability advocates in the community um, who would work locally and nationally to make changes in how how disabled people were living in in their society and having access to schools and jobs um, and and doing what they wanted to do. Um, so for the for five for a five year period, we worked on this, created this factory. The factory still exists. It's still making an, uh, chairs. The government buys chairs from them, distributes it to people, um, and and. I learned another interesting lesson, um, which was I the the Rough Rider wheelchair uh, is an excellent wheelchair, and we're we're hand, we're giving it out free to people, and I'm thinking this is such a wonderful thing. You know, we're giving this great wheelchair. They all got lousy wheelchairs, um, and and um, everybody's going to be really uh, more mobile, more active, more excited, whatever. No. That's not the way it worked, uh, you know, because people were people in Georgia are, are exposed to Western media and mm. Western television. And and they see the Western wheelchairs, which are very pretty, very shiny, you know, very, very sleek looking, very sexy looking kind of wheelchairs. <laughs> and and everybody, you know, people wanted, you know, these like these sexy looking wheelchairs. And our, you know, the Rough Rider chair isn't, you know, is is a good looking chair, but it isn't being advertised and it isn't being seen, you know, uh, the way everybody else was looking at it. They wanted these Western wheelchairs, and I and I'm I'm talking to people, you know, and saying, well, you know, how do you feel about your chair? And they go, oh, it's really good, but you know, it's kind of heavy. It's heavy, you know, and I can't, you know, it's a little heavy to use and so forth. I was shocked, you know, it's like, oh my God, they're criticizing this chair they got for free, you know, and, and it's a great chair and they didn't, they were not happy about it. They wanted the sexy Western model wheelchairs. <laughs> and, and so what, over the years, I mean, what's happened is, you know, as people got money and, or friends in the Western world, 
they started getting their hands on these Western wheelchairs and using them. But there are always disabled people who don't have these resources. And they at least had a had access to a good, a, a very good, very practical, you know, uh, wheelchair that they could get around in there in there and and have a life with. So that factory is still is still working, still happening. Uh, the Disability Coalition um, had some very good um, successes. The government started paying attention and supporting what was what was happening in, in Georgia. I, you know, after you, when you go back and look over time, you know, you don't see changes in a, in a, in a month. You don't see changes no. in a year. You mm -hmm. see changes over five years, 10 years, 15 years. Mm -hmm. I see, I've told people many, many times, you need to look at the problem of changing society from a generational viewpoint. Mm, yes. you, you it, It's what you do in your life and you hand it off to the next group, you know, that takes over, that, that comes next. The young people that are motivated yeah. to do, to do, to keep on working, keep on struggling. Mm -hmm. and yeah. And it, I, I want to talk about those young people. How do you think that, you know, young people of today can mobilize together for disability rights and disability justice in the same way that you did and that Judy did and that Ed did, how can the current young generations do the same kinds of work in 2023? Um, it, I, think, I think there needs to be uh, more dialogue between old leadership and young leadership. Um, mm -hmm. Judy always promoted this, always, always, always. I mean, every time I see Judy, she's always got young people around her young disabled people talking to them supporting them encouraging them there it starts it starts with it, role models really help they really do you know that it says yes it was possible for them it could be possible for me you know so <laughs> the dialogue is part of the handoff you know that you share the you know, the experiences you give people you you show them it wasn't by magic it was by hard work it was suffering, pain, you know, you just go through it. Um, and, 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 but you have to have this commitment. Absolutely. Not everybody has it. Not everybody has it, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, and I see, and I'm not hanging around young disabled people in, <laughs> in America right now. Um, but, you know, I also recognize that young disabled people have a different environment than I had. Mm-hmm. In some ways, they look at the old. They look at the these old times when there wasn't an accessible. There was no accessibility in buildings. Zero, none. Mm -hmm. You know, I in a wheelchair when I went to college, I was hauled. I had to find people in the stair, stairwell, ask them. You know, when I'm 20 years old, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, I, you know, will you haul me up these steps in order for yeah. me to get to my classroom every every day? That's what it was. Yeah, with young people of today, like, you know, for someone like me, like I was born into post ADA, you know, so we don't realize what it used to be like for you and generations before you. It's interesting. And so they think, oh, it was really hard then. No, yeah. <laughs> I think it's hard. I think it's harder now for the young people. I think it's harder now for the young people because they didn't have it so in your face blatant. Mm -hmm. You know where the it was the easy to see the barriers, easy to see the obstacles, to point at them and say these are wrong. That was easy. 
to do, even if it was difficult to live that way. You know, now you've got all these accessibilities. You have the Americans with Disabilities Act. You have the UN, you know, the UN Rights for the Disabled People. You have all of these successes and much more money and resources that young disabled people are growing up in. Does that mean they're not being discriminated? Absolutely not. You know, mm -hmm. they're still dealing with discrimination. They're still dealing with lack of opportunity. They're still dealing with, with uh, not being able to see possibilities for success in their lives, even with all of this accessibility and all of this money. I think mm -hmm. that's a pretty hard problem. You know, how do you, how do you demand change when everybody in the, when most people in societies think you have it pretty good? Yeah. You know, that's, that's more difficult than I had. It was easy to point to the problems for me and, and, right. and, Ed and others. It was obvious. Mm -hmm. not, not today. There, there's so many more problems that have been created. So it's like, how do you even begin to tackle all of the different problems that all of our collective oppression is wrapped up in, you know, it's just like, where do you even start, especially living in this like era of like instant gratification and the 24 hour news cycle, it's like easy to get caught up and it's hard to figure out where to start, I think. Yeah. So saying that my first reaction is pick something, <laughs> just pick something. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and, and don't think, you know, you got to be the person who solves it all. It won't happen. It just doesn't happen that way. But mm. you pick something to work on and you find some people to work with you. Doing it mm. alone is no fun. Just no fun. You mm. want help. You want to work with other people. Um, unfortunately, the disability organizations and, and groups of disabled people are becoming, it's becoming hard to find that. You know, yeah. find other groups of disabled people other than who you happen to hang with. Yeah, you know? I, I'm grateful for social media in that aspect that it's been able to bring together a lot of global communities that you would otherwise not have access to. People are able to have conversations with a disabled person in London or a disabled person in Kenya or wherever. It's it's allowed us to connect more globally. At least we have that to start. And 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 so what I would say as an older person is, You've got to, somebody's got to figure out how to use your tools today yeah. in a new way, in a new way that I can't think of because I didn't grow up with them that way. You know, yeah. I didn't grow up with those, the tools you have today, the social media, the instant access, the communication, even though it isolates people to some degree, it also mm -hmm. facilitates to some, you know, to a degree. Yes. So somebody's got to come up with some original thinking mm -hmm. about how to work with these tools in a more in a productive way. It, it isn't doing what we did, though some of our tools are very useful. Mm -hmm. Demonstrations will never go out of in fashion. You yeah. know, people need to speak up and demand, you know, changes. Um, I, I hope no one ever stops doing that. Um, no one should ever see that as impolite. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Discrimination is impolite. You know, exactly. oppression, <laughs> oppression is impolite. You know, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be quiet about it. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> so you got to make some noise and, and just you, you got to really... make noise. Yeah. But one of the things that I one of the things that I I appreciate is creative thinking about how to make noise. 
new ways of making noise, new ways of being in your face. Um, doing it the way we did it still is available, and people do choose that. But I'm I'm waiting to see people come up with some new thinking and and new ways of 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 getting out and making these demands because there it's it's never we're it's never going to end. You know, we got to constantly improve our lives and improve society. Um, and, you know, I used to think, well, eventually, you know, <laughs> you know, I could stop. No, doesn't work that way. You know, it just doesn't. And the world's big, too many people, you know, lots of people, lots of problems. It's, it's, you know, they're so pick one, pick a place, mm -hmm. sports, art, you know, uh, employment, you know, um, you know, schools, you know, pick a place and start, you know, working on a problem, because that's how you gain your skills. That's how you gain your confidence. You know, you need what I have, what one of the things that I um, try, became to understand about training disability advocates, they need to see success very quickly. You, it, it's small successes, not big success, mm -hmm. just success, something, just somebody, to, somebody that says, oh, you're right. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. You know, how, you know, how can I do this better? Um, a, a, whether it's a school, whether it's a, a restaurant, you know, whatever. It's those small successes, which tell you it is possible. Mm -hmm. and, and you build with the small successes and eventually you go, hmm, all right, let me try something big now. <laughs> let me let me try something a little bit bigger. Takes a little bit longer, you know, mm -hmm. to, to make to to make that success happen. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I many many people, many people look at electoral politics like voting, you know, gotta yeah. get people out to vote. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's important. Um, how do disabled people get out and vote? Well, there's lots of disabled people who don't vote. Mm -hmm. And and will that make a difference? It always makes a difference to go out and vote and and, and get recognized for your vote. Mm -hmm. Is it the most important? I don't think it's the most right. important because it's it's an occasional thing. Right. And there's also disabled people who can't vote due to a lack of accessibility as well. So we can't rely on just voting. So 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 pushing pushing activism only into voting, it's important, but it's not the only game in town. Yep. You know, there are other problems also very important need to be addressed. And unfortunately, as our economy gets bad, resources get tight, programs get cut what we what people who have disabilities now what they're what they had gotten used to they start seeing threatened they start seeing cutbacks they start seeing conversations about oh let we have other problems we need to deal with first you know i'm i'm sorry this is these are this is why it's a generational struggle you you know I, i'd like to say we we at some point we cross the river and we declare success no um, it is an ongoing battle. I'm sorry to say. Does that mean I get tired as I get older? Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, uh, does did Judy get tired? She would never admit it. She just wouldn't admit it. You know, you never saw her saying, "I'm too tired to do this." 
she her energy was just endless um, mm -hmm. so i try to follow that <laughs> i try to to keep going and i continue my work you know i've stopped i've gotten old enough now where i don't want to i was traveling all over the world um and and i've gotten to a place now where, where traveling is much more physically difficult i'm just older and i'm i'm 72 um mm -hmm. you know it's like i shouldn't be having to travel all over the world but the problems continue i yeah. don't see myself traveling now but now i'm here in berkeley there are problems here in berkeley with for disabled people and i'm working on problems here in berkeley um i i didn't used to do that while i was working internationally now i am because mm -hmm. here is where i live here is where i can do something useful and mm -hmm. so i'm i'm doing that and yeah. and and that's my contribution i'm doing mm -hmm. something it's it's small it's local mm -hmm. but, I'm, but you know it's not just us it's 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 everyone else doing doing their bit doing mm -hmm. their part absolutely yeah and on the subject of building forward and you know just creating a better future what do you think should be a priority for WID as someone who served as our director of um, international programs for 22 years? What do you feel like we should be prioritizing over the next decade and beyond? Well, I'm I'm very biased. I'm sorry <laughs> about inter about international work, but as I've tried to explain, you know, there's plenty of work to do locally. Um, so don't you know? It isn't that you have to go work in other countries. It would be nice. Um, um, but one of the, I think one of the lessons I've learned working internationally, trying to create disability advocates to make, you know, how do you take people who desire, but don't know how to be a disability advocate? How do you train them? And one of the, you know, there's, I mean, we had, we had training courses. I mean, it's like going to school. We, mm -hmm. we for eight hours a day, for one week or even two weeks, eight hours a day, we would have classes where our advocates would sit through a series of trainings and orientations on different issues to understand them and to and to learn about different techniques and, and abilities. They didn't know how to work with newspapers. They didn't know how to work with television. They didn't know how they did not know how to to stand up in front of their of their government people. Um, they didn't know how how you or, you know, do these things in their local city. Um, so we give them a, an intensive training course, um, expose them to lots of uh, lots of these ideas and tools and how you do things. And then we we send them to, we send them back to their cities, not alone in teams. You don't want to send someone alone. They got to need they need they need support from their, you know, from other people doing the same thing. The team could be two people, the team could be three or five, uh, depending on how much money we had, you know, <laughs> but, but, but we support them in while they go back home and practice what they taught, what they were taught. This kind of approach needs to have, I, I don't know if it needs to happen, but I encourage it to happen. And, and here in America for young people, the idea somehow that you that people are just oh you're you're young you want to work fine go go do something, 
I'm sorry, that's a that's a failure. You know, they people need training. They need support while they practice their mm -hmm. training. You know, that's how you get somebody because they don't all succeed, but you get some success. Some of them, some of them will be successful. That is what I would I would want to see happen in America right now and in other countries. Mm -hmm. That there was some kind of training courses, how to be a disability advocate. Yeah. You know, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. and it's you get some old people, you get some young people as trainers. You don't mm -hmm. you know, it's not it's not just the old people doing this. Gotta be gotta be new ideas, new thinking. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I wanna close off our conversation in the you know way that we started, which was us reflecting on Judy. How do you think that we can all collectively channel Judy's fighting spirit, her you know, just bold and brazen spirit in order to create a more equitable world for people with disabilities? Um, don't ask for permission. Do it. <laughs> you know, don't ask yes. for permission. Do it. You know, right. you do it. You, 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 you fight dis discrimination. You fight oppression by getting in the, you know, by going out and struggling with it. And and you don't ask for permission and 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 somebody else to say, all right, you're you're officially you're now the official disability advocate. Go do it. No, you just you ex you decided on your own or with your friends, you know, and you decide to go do it. Um, no one gave us permission. We all just did it. You know, so I, that's that's part of my encouragement. Um, if if you want if you want to be bold and sassy and get in other people's faces about <laughs> about discrimination and oppression, please go do it. You mm -hmm. know, just do it. You'll get pushed back. You'll sure. get you know you'll get pushed back. That's how you learn your skills. That's how you learn you know to to do it in a way that doesn't cause people to be pissed at you. Sometimes it's okay for people to be pissed at you. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. that's how. <laughs> I'm sorry. Some people will not change how they are. Exactly. You know, I'm totally. sorry, and you 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 move on. You know, you just yep. move on. Um, there are plenty of people who are receptive. Yes. And work with the people who are receptive. <laughs> get in the face of the people who are not receptive. Um, Judy, Judy was, was, um, she, there was just, there was just no, no, there wasn't a no mm -hmm. for Judy. It was, you know, how do I do it? Or I'm just going to go do it. And she did. Mm -hmm. So that's my encouragement to everybody else. Go do it. Don't Absolutely. wait for permission, you know, and, mm -hmm. and look for, look for help, look for support from others because doing it alone is not all, is not generally successful. You need, mm -hmm. you need more than one person. Yes, we all need to organize together so that we can achieve collective liberation. That's what the disability justice framework teaches us that. And, you know, I really live by that framework. And I think we all should embrace that spirit. Well, Bruce, this conversation has been amazing. I've really enjoyed hearing like all of your stories, some of which I've never heard about Ed and <laughs> Judy and just like, your time spent internationally and at WID. This was such a wonderful conversation. So thank you so much for being a guest on our season three premiere of our podcast. Good. Well, thank you for inviting me. And I'm still here. If you know, people, 
people want encouragement and ideas. I got a few, but I'm, I'm really encouraging others. Find your own, mm -hmm. you know, we had to find our own. That's right. So you can find transcripts in American Sign Language Interpretations for today's episode and all of our past episodes at www.wid.org slash what's up dash wid. And I can't wait to talk to you all next time.